Today's guest researcher tells us how the state of our body affects how we perceive things. You're listening to The Science Show on Cambridge 105. In this section called Scientists at Work, we talk to people who, for some reason or another, find themselves working, researching or thinking about science in Cambridge, England. Fellow scientist Chris Kreese is here with me, but something's different. You seem to have scrubbed up rather well today, Chris. What gives? Hi, all, and thanks for noticing, Roger. Well, a psychology PhD student at the University of Cambridge, he told me that being clean or dirty might affect my judgment, and so I thought I would try it out. Do I seem less or more judgmental today, Roger? Well, at the risk of being judgmental, you're always sweet, Chris, but uh, would that because you're always so clean or you're always so dirty? (laughs) I'm not going to answer that one. Well, one of the psychologists, Dario Carpen's ideas is that being clean would make us more judgmental and not scrubbing up might make us more easygoing. And it's more complicated than that, but we'll hear about his hypothesis firsthand because I visited the university psychology department to participate in a study. And did they read your mind? Did they probe you? And did they discover a dark, loony side to your being nice? (laughs) It wasn't at all probing, I promise. Actually, it was quite fun. And afterwards, I spoke with the psychologist Dario Kirpan, and I wanted to find out more about the project as well as the scientist behind it. And I wondered what first got him interested in psychology. I started by asking about his studies. Roughly speaking, I'm studying social psychology. And for people who don't know what social psychology is, we social psychologists investigate how the world around us influences our thinking and behavior. So how everything that happens around you, from going to the supermarket to your neighbors, influences your thinking and behavior. How did you decide to get into that particular area of psychology? So basically when I was in high school, that was the first time we were learning about psychology. There were stories like of these psychologists uh, uh, scaring little kids with strange sounds and then seeing how the kids would react. And all these things at the time sounded really bizarre to me, but it made, they made me interested in psychology. And yeah, even if scaring uh, babies like this is not allowed anymore, and all these old experiments would be unethical, but they are still very interesting to me. And then when I was deciding what to do, I was also interested in physics, but because at the time I thought that physics is a very old science, so I thought that uh, it wouldn't allow me to discover some new things because what physicists do is basically nowadays solve just some minor pieces of the puzzle. But psychology is a fairly new science, so there is a lot of space for discovering and investigating new things, and that's how I decided You might be in trouble with some physicists for saying that, (laughs) but I think a lot of people would would agree with you too. Psychology is a relatively new discipline, and there's Mm -hmm. lots to learn. So how did you decide to do a PhD in the Embodied Cognition and Emotion Lab, specifically at the University of Cambridge. And that's a very fancy name for a lab, so tell us first what that means. That's true. This is a, the name sounds very fancy, but it's basically very simple. So what our lab basically claims is that human thinking is not separated from human body, as some old philosophers would say, but that it's very influenced by human body and by bodily states. So let's take an example. So let's say when people have a full bladder, they make uh, much better decisions when they go to a shop and buy something than than when their bladder is empty. And this is, of course, such findings appear very interesting to me, and that's why I really got attracted by this lab. 
And now I can say a bit more about different areas of research that our lab does. So basically some people investigate how bodily states uh, influences, of course, like uh, thinking. Then some people investigate how bodily states influence our perception of the environment. So basically perception of distance, perception of heights. Some people then investigate how emotions influence our thinking and decision making. And some people also investigate how our body influences our moral judgments and our morality, moral standpoints. Okay, so it sounds like you have a good tip. One being, next time I go shopping, don't pee before I go. <laughs> Do you have yeah. any other tips? <laughs> so other tips is, if you are angry at someone, then don't wash your hands. Because when you don't wash your hands, you will tend to be less angry when, so less angry when someone does something wrong to you than when you wash your hands. Why is that? So if you heard basically metaphors, clean is usually related to good, dirty is usually related to bad, but it seems that it even works not only as metaphor, but that it works really in reality. So when you clean your hands, you tend to be more like judgmental, more searching for good, and then when someone does something bad to you, you will judge this person much more. But if you don't wash your hands, then you will be like more on the evil side. And when some, someone does evil to you, you will be less sensitive, let's say it like that. That's very interesting. So that saying, cleanliness is next to godliness, yes. has some truth to it, because you might be more pious and more judgmental. Yes, that is true. Ah, okay, so don't take a shower if you're having a fight with your partner, and <laughs> you'll be less judgmental. Another great tip. Now, this is really interesting to me, because... As a biologist, we tend to think of animals' perception mm -hmm. of their environment as a very objective phenomenon. So we sense a stimulus, and our body sensors send that information to the brain. And based on that logic, we might expect to sense essentially the same stimulus in the same way every time. But you're saying that that's not true, so explain that. So basically, in order to understand this, let's try to think of our brain as a separate individual, as a separate entity. So if you think of your brain like this, then your body can be seen as the first environment of your brain, as the most intimate environment of your brain, and all the external world is just like a far, far away environment in comparison to your body. So of course that the brain will be very influenced by what happens in the body. If the body is very warm, it will affect the brain. If the body is cold, it will affect the brain. If your stomach is empty and you are hungry, of course it will affect your brain. If you are tired, let's say, you will see distances as longer and hills as steeper because of course then you will have more trouble walking these distances or climbing up the hill. Again, if you are rested or in a better physical condition, distances will seem shorter to you or inclines will seem less steep to you because of course then you, you are more able to walk these distances or climb these inclines. So many of our bodily states are re really related to how our brain sees the world. And all these things are still being discovered. There are so many things that it's really hard to summarize it in one word. So many different bodily states, movements really affect our thinking. So it sounds like the body is a filter for stimulation coming from the outside environment. And when the state of that filter changes, that's affecting the input. That, so that, that is true, I agree. So if you... If you if you are walking outside the street and you see, for example, a staircase, your body basically is not ready to climb, but then of course the body sends signal to the brain 
and the brain makes you see this staircase as steeper. So that's if, if you want to see it as filter, yeah, we can say we can represent it like that. Okay, so I should get extra sleep before my workout, and it <laughs> will true. seem less difficult. Yeah, less difficult. <laughs> or you can twist this, and you can basically try to perceive your workout as less difficult. And if you, if you do that, your body should get more prepared to do it. Oh, that's a good tip. I'm going to try that. Okay, and then what about the state of our body affecting our moral judgments? I mean, if, if it's affecting how we perceive our environment, mm-hmm. does it affect how we evaluate things too? That is also true. That's, that's a very interesting thing that like even uh, when we evaluate some moral actions that our body is very involved in these things. So basically, as clean is related to good, and dirty is related to bad, so in the same way when you clean your body, you are more on the good side, when your body is dirty, you are more, more, let's say, on the bad side. And that affects how you see, for example, people who do some transgressions. Let's say people who steal a wallet, or people who kill someone, or do something other that is bad. And then, of course, if, if you are a judge, then all these minor things may affect you. And being a judge itself like makes you seem and feel more, more clean because you're on the side of the laws. You may tend to be more critical about other people who are accused. That's really interesting. So the relationship can actually go in either direction. The state of your being can influence your moral judgments, and your moral judgments can also influence the state of your being, your perception of the state of your body. Now, what about the scientist behind the science? What other hobbies do you get up to on your free time when you're not doing research? So basically, my two first hobbies, my first hobby, main hobby is writing, and then painting, and sometimes I also play basketball. Wonderful. And do you think that having those hobbies, for example, being a painter, has given you a different insight into the cognitive and emotional relationships that determine how people represent the world? Definitely, because if you look at today's psychology, today's psychology is basically science. But human mind doesn't function in a scientific way. It's very irrational. And painting and writing are irrational too. So by doing these two activities, I can, I think I can understand myself better and I think I can ask myself better questions about my mind and understand my mind better. My mind better. And it gives me some opportunities which I can't investigate in my PhD studies, which can't be investigated through experiments. So do you think that being engaged in creative pursuits before you go to work on your PhD influences <laughs> how you're perceiving your work or results by any chance? Maybe. I never, I never tried to measure that. <laughs> but, but it may be. But I, I actually, bef- before I go to work, I, do, I, I don't do anything artistic, only after I'm back from my work. Ah, to because relax. I need to relax. Well, that would be a fun project. <laughs> There's your next experiment. So for people interested in volunteering to participate in your PhD study, how might they contact you? So yeah, basically we have a database of people and anyone who is interested can become a part of that database. And then whenever we have some experiment, we will send you an email describing the experiment, uh, saying how much it is paid. And then if you are interested, you can respond to us and participate. Okay, so for those of you interested in volunteering to participate in psychology studies at the University of Cambridge, help some grad students out. Um, I'll put links up to their lab on the website so you can get in touch directly. And I can say that I volunteered as well, and it was really fun. (laughs) So definitely get in touch. 
Thanks so much for being with us today, Dario. Thank you. And good luck with your research. Thank you. Very interesting, Chris. Thanks for finding us a way to help science by volunteering yourself. But you said it's paid too, did you not? Maybe I ought to volunteer for these psychology studies. Maybe I should. <laughs> a good idea, but I think you could be an entire psychology dissertation unto yourself, Roger. Uh-huh, very funny. <laughs> they say I'm better now, you know. <laughs> Aren't you being a bit judgmental, Chris? Don't you need a bath? Ha ha, I don't. But many thanks to Dario Kirpan. That's pretty much all for today's show. Scientists at Work is made by the Science Show team on Community Radio, Cambridge 105. You can also find past episodes on the website, www.cambridge105.fm. You can also subscribe to future podcasts with the iTunes store. You can get in touch with us on the email science at cambridge105.fm or on Twitter at 105science. Till next time, it's bye from the Science Show team of Roger Frost and Chris Crease. You're listening to The Science Show on Cambridge 105.